0: A lot of times I think people think that, oh, a seasoned assist, it just means that you're like a bully or something, but it's really not. Once you get a trademark, you actually have a duty to police your mark. If you see people using the same or similar things, you have a duty to get them to stop or attempt to get them to stop. You don't really want that confusion. So that's why you don't want anyone else out there existing with something that's really similar to your brand because it can tarnish your brand.
1: Microphone check, one, two, what is this? You're now listening to a brand new episode of the Play Big Faster podcast. Look what started. Let's go. Welcome to another episode of the Play Big Faster podcast. I'm your host, Cherie Prince, and we are joined today by Kelly Jones. Kelly is a trademark attorney for entrepreneurs. Hey, Kelly. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Thank you so much for agreeing to come out and just share some of your knowledge with us. What you do is so important, and I don't want to mess it up because I don't do trademarks or any sort of IP stuff. So if you can just tell us what you do, and we'll start
0: there. Sure. So I help business owners, whether they're small business, online business, brick and mortar, whatever, protect their brand through trademarking. So really owning the part of their brand, something a lot of times it's their business name, something like that. So I help them own their brand so they can continue to build their business without having to worry about whether their name is going to be caught up in legal trouble.
1: And the interesting thing about that is, and I mentioned before, I'm an attorney as well, and I help people with asset protection. Part of that is showing them how to protect their assets, which include intellectual property. But intellectual property is really just an umbrella. And we know that we have different types of things under the umbrella. So if you can tell us just what other things besides trademarks fall under intellectual property?
0: Sure. So there's a couple of things. there. We have trademarks, contracts, trade secrets, and patents. Those are really the main areas when we talk about intellectual property. Now, patents are really really the least utilized of all of these just because they are for specific inventions. So you're protecting that maybe it's like a software, an algorithm, or like some type of invention. You know, not every business even has their own invention. And that is something that you would go to a specialized patent attorney for, and they would help you with that. That's also the most expensive of the intellectual property types to protect. Then after patents, we have copyright and trademark, which a lot of people use interchangeably. So copyright is really something, when you think of copyright, think of the creation. So it is some type of creative work. It could be a video, a picture, a recording, like a podcast recording, a sculpture, any type of creation, like a creative work. And as soon as you publish it somewhere, so you don't even publish online or publish the book, something like that, then that is, you are the owner of that copyright because you created it. So the copyright is something that you create. Trademark is the brand. So While copyright is the actual creative part of what you're doing, the trademark is the brand itself. So it can be your business name, it can be a podcast name, it could be an offer name, basically something that you use to identify your goods and services. So, you know, it's not something that you just use a copy in your messaging, but it's something that actually identifies your goods and services and also something that you publicly use for the foreseeable future. And then trade secrets are something that is like, confidential secret to your brand. One that people might talk about is like the Coca-Cola recipe. Like that is like a trade secret to their brand. So this is something that obviously people want to protect because they don't want everyone, you know, knowing this. So that is just something else that intellectual property protects. So that's kind of breakdown of those four things.
1: Yeah, I use the example a lot when I'm talking about asset protection. If I had just one piece of intellectual property to go into my estate plan, I would choose Jordan's Air Jordan symbol because the symbol in and of itself is worth a billion easily that's what his net worth is basically based on. And so I just, I love this stuff and I hate that I don't concentrate a little bit more into it, but I love to talk to people that do and for them to give us all great examples on how we can protect trademarks. So tell us what you do with entrepreneurs and trademarks.
0: Yeah. So what I really focus on is helping the business owner protect their brand. So that usually involves filing the trademark, sometimes help with choosing which parts of their brand are actually trademarks and things that they want to protect. Um, and also maybe helping with rebrand process if it's something that you are not going to keep or you can't keep because someone else essentially filed for something before you did. So we work together through the, like the pre-trademark process. And then, you know, everything that we need to do before filing, and then also the entire trademark process filing with the USPTO, because that is taking a year and a half on average right now, wow. very long time, federal government moving very slowly, but so it's a long process. So I work with business owners through that entire process. And then also in the future, when they when it comes time for them to renew their trademark, um, which is after year five, and then after year 10, and then every 10 years after, and that's Basically, just to show that you're still in business because not every business continues to use the same trademark for all time, pretty much. And so I love that you made that distinction
1: that it's federal. So you can work with people anywhere in the United States. You don't have to be in a certain state to do it.
0: I Yeah, my clients are pretty much all over the country. You just have to be licensed in one state um, in order to work with clients anywhere, as long as they're filing in the U.S. So it can even be clients that are you know, outside of the U.S. if they want to file within the U.S. There are state trademarks, and that sometimes is something that we consider for a business. Like if it is something that cannot be federally trademarked in the cannabis industry, for example, uh, because it's not yet approved under federal law for all types of things, then that might be like an instance where they might get a state trademark instead. But typically, we always try to do a federal one where we can because a state trademark might not always hold up. If someone else has the federal trademark, they still might be able to landlock you into a small area within your state. So yes, that's why it's important that it is federal. So tell me...
1: How do I know when I need
0: a trademark? So typically I ask three questions. First, do you have something in your brand that you intend to keep at least for the foreseeable future? So, like I said, this could be your business name, podcast name, course name, product line name, anything like that. And it's not something, you know, it's not an event that you're just running um, once and then you're not going to do it anymore. It's something that you're really going to stick with at least for the next couple of years. Um, because you, know, you don't want to go through the whole process spending all the time and money if it's something that you think that you're going to change in a year from now anyway. So first, if they have something like that, if they do, then would you be upset if someone else had the same or similar name as you? one day you're just scrolling on Instagram or something and you see someone with the same or very similar name and they're doing something that is similar to what you're doing? Would that upset you? And it should upset you because the whole point of the trademark, it's not just to like try to get a monopoly on something and prevent competition. The main point is to not confuse consumers because if you're operating a business and someone else is operating a business and you're both doing the same thing and you both have a, maybe it's almost identical name, but it differs. You know, one business has an S at the end or one business has one additional word people could be confused if they're going to go google your name and both of you come up they might think oh are you related business owner is it connected affiliated somehow and that's how confusion comes about and that's what we don't want and then so if you would be upset by that then the third question is would you be upset now if you are forced to rebrand and that could be because maybe that other that other business owner that you see pop up had filed a trademark before you and then you know, forced you to rebrand or they filed the trademark and then sent you a season desist letter, something like that. So if you don't want to have to be you know, forced to rebrand or forced to handle dealing with a season desist and anything that comes with that, then that's when you might consider, okay, maybe it's time to get a trademark.
1: Okay. Kelly, this is so good. So you brought up something that's really interesting in the event that someone else, possibly has filed a state trademark and you are now applying for a federal trademark. What does that look like? You having prior knowledge or even finding out after the filing, what are your options?
0: Yeah, so that is the tough part. So sometimes it really only becomes an issue if either one of the businesses know about the other one and they don't want the other one maybe to operate. Maybe you aren't in their state yet where they have the state trademark, but you plan to expand there. And I know that that could be potential confusion, but you have the federal trademark, or maybe you have the state trademark, and then you see someone with a federal and you don't want them coming into your state. But either way, this brings up a, one of my favorite stories. It's the Burger King story. The Burger King chain that we see everywhere around us, fast food chain, that was not the initial Burger King. The original Burger King actually was in Mattoon, Illinois, and they had a state trademark in Illinois and then came along this Florida company that started also with Burger King name and started rapidly expanding everywhere also started expanding into Illinois the original Burger King said started a lawsuit because they were it was causing confusion with more and more Burger King chains popping up all around them and so they started the lawsuit they had their state trademark they thought oh, it was good we can at least pr- we can't prevent you from you know, using your chain everywhere else, but we, can, we think we can prevent you from Illinois. The court said no. They said your state trademark only gives you rights to a small geographical area. So they ended up landlocking them to a 20 mile radius. So Burger King chain that we see today can operate everywhere in the US except for that 20 mile radius where the original Burger King is. It has been sold now since in the past couple of years. So I'm not sure. If they're still operating it as Burger King, but they were at least till 2015. So that is the story that I always like to tell. You don't want to end up being that original Burger King. They're the one that came up with the name that started it. And then the other Burger King came in, got a federal trademark and knocked them out. 20 miles is not a big area when you're trying to expand your business. So federal trademark is typically always what we try to go for. What about
1: if I'm in e-commerce? And I have products that are being sold internationally. How does my federal trademark, can someone in a different country come with the same trademark over in the UK? How does that work?
0: Yeah, so that is a tough thing too. So basically the first step in the process when you come to work with a trademark lawyer We do a full search. It's more advanced than the free search that you can do on the the trademark website right now um, because it uses algorithms that looks really deep into other things that could be similar or the same as your business name. And a lot of times it's so we look at things that are like already pending trademarks, already registered trademarks, and also things that just exist in what we call common law that are like existing out there on the internet, but they're not registered. And this is where sometimes we see things pop up in other countries. And that's really where we want to dive in and look to, are they just selling in another country and not in the U S and also does my client want to stay just within the U S or they want to expand and do they want to expand in those countries where we see potential overlap? Because your federal trademark only protects you in the U S. Once you get your federal trademark or you apply for your federal trademark, you can use that application to then try to apply in other countries as well. If you want to expand, let's say to the UK, to Canada, certain countries. But if you already see ones out there and you then potentially want to sell in those places, that could be a consideration too of, oh, is this potential infringement if I'm selling there? Because if they already have a trademark, so that's just something that you have to think about and be looking at too if you plan to sell outside of the US. Um, that's why also some businesses, they have one name in some countries and a different in others like TJ Maxx in the US, it's TJ Maxx. In the UK, it's TK Maxx because there was another business previously there when they opened that it was too similar so they had to change their name. Same with Lay's, I think. Lay's is one thing here and I forget the name but it's something else in the UK. So sometimes these trademark things are because they can't operate the same with the same name somewhere else because someone else already had something similar there to start with.
1: Okay, Kelly, you are bringing all the fire tonight. Hey, Max, that's just hilarious to me. Right, (laughs) (laughs) that is so hilarious. One question that people may have is expense. What is the cost for a trademark?
0: Yes. So when you are using a lawyer, which is something I typically recommend. There are certain legal things that I think you can DIY. Like if you're going to put a lot of time and effort into researching and you want to DIY your LLC and your single member LLC, you know, just you filing it, go for it. When it comes to trademark, I typically don't recommend you DIYing it just because it can end up costing you more if you, if it's not done properly. So what I tell people typically is the cost is about $3,000. This includes the attorney's fees as well as the filing fees that go to the government. It's about an average because the filing fees vary based on what you're actually applying with. So if you're selling shirts or if you're selling shirts and coaching or, and a podcast, like the more things, the more potential filing fees you might have. So that's where it can change a little bit. But it's about 3000 to do that, including the whole year plus long process. And a big portion of that is also that search that I said that we do in the beginning to really assess the risk level of your mark, um, which is also why not to DIY it because that just, it, that is really one of the biggest pieces of what we do to, you know, that guides how we apply. It guides if we even apply or if we completely change something. And then I typically say balance like the cost of 3000 if. You know, you get your trademark early, you know, lock in your brand name versus the potential costs of not doing it early. And that is, so it could be spending thousands if you have to rebrand. It could mean, you know, paying a lawyer to handle a season and assist letter that you get, or it could mean having to potentially fight for your brand if you don't want to just rebrand. And that is on average cost about a hundred thousand so that's typically why I'm like, it's the difference between $3,000 versus 100000
1: Wow. So I know you share with us the Burger King story, but do you have any other examples of just some nightmares that maybe some of your clients have faced and come to you with because they did not do this early?
0: Yeah. So I had a client recently. She was using a name for her business for the last like two or so years. She had trademarked some of her other stuff in her business with me years prior, but she wasn't certain about this, that she was going to stick with this name for a program that she was doing. She didn't know if she wanted to spend the money. But then when we went to actually trademark, someone had already filed an application, they hadn't gotten the registered trademark yet. And they actually hadn't even started selling it yet. Because sometimes you can apply for a trademark, even if you haven't launched it yet, you don't have the registered trademark until you actually launch, but you're in the process, essentially but she was in the process which meant just because hers was filed my client's would be denied because of hers even though my client was using it first just cuz she the other person filed first so we essentially we tried to um, negotiate with her to withdraw her application since my client had been in use first which technically the law is who's using it first but she was not willing to do that so we ended up having to file an opposition to oppose her trademark because it was still in it was still pending So this, it it still cost my client the couple thousand to file her own trademark. And then we also had to start this opposition process, which this is where it could be average of a hundred thousand. Luckily for us, she was also a very small business owner. So she ended up after we filed the opposition, which was about 2,500, including the $600 trademark government filing fee for that opposition. She actually said, fine, you know, whatever. I'm just going to abandon my trademark application now. You can have it. So we got lucky there, but that is not always what happens. Um, I still feel like, even though we didn't come close to the 100,000 average, it's still four or 5,000 is still a lot for a small business. So even that, I was like, oh my God, I feel so bad that you have to even go through just this part of it um, because it's still a lot. So that was a difficult thing to go through for my client. She's also a, you no. Know, she still has a nine to five. She's running a small business part-time on the side. So that is just something that she had to go through recently.
1: There is so much value to what you do. Kelly, y'all need to raise your prices. IP attorneys, raise your prices. No, I'm so <laughs> Because to me, that's just, it's, there's so much value there. And if you don't do it early and you look at what it costs, I would easily, as a small business, try to budget that early. Because I think what happens is when we are putting our business plan together, I don't think people just really put a lot of value on IP and what it costs. Yeah,
0: definitely. Yeah, I definitely think that is true. And that is something where, you know, a lot of times I tell people, like, even if you don't have the 3000 to file the trademark and do the whole process. Sometimes just the trademark consultation with a lawyer is, you know, it can identify major red flags that might cause you to be like, oh, okay, this is not a good name for my brand long-term, so maybe I'm going to change something about it now, or maybe it's infringing and I'm definitely going to change something about it now. That's why I try to always tell people, put that trademark consultation at least in your budget from very early on. Because at least that can help guide you to make sure, even if you're not filing yet, you're at least using a name that is not like major red flags for your brand.
1: Yeah. And one thing that I love about the information that you're sharing with us, you know, we're going to have this episode, but you actually have a podcast as well, correct? No, not yet.
0: (laughs) Oh, Oh, so my link is it's slash it's lawyerkelly.com slash podcast. That's just where I have Things that anyone can go to, but that's just the link that I give when I'm on a podcast. You can sign up for my email list to get, I send two email newsletters a month with just legal tips for you. And then it also has a link directly to a trademark consultation, just makes it easier that everything's on one page.
1: Okay. So she does not have one yet, but she's going to get one because otherwise <laughs> she's going to be a regular on the Play Big Faster podcast. So she's going to have to sign up about that. Because we are loving some of this great information. So, the term that you used before is renting versus owning. Could you break that down for us, kind of unpack it?
0: Yeah. So, I typically say when you have a trademark, a registered trademark, you're essentially moving from renting your brand to owning it. And what I mean also is owning it within the specific area that you are registering it in. So, you know, whatever your goods and services are, because you can't get the trademark in absolutely everything. If your business is like selling jewelry online, you can't stop someone from using the same or similar name if they have like a consulting business, for example. But if they have something that's maybe close, you know, maybe they're selling like scrunchie hair accessories, things like that, then maybe that is something that's much closer. There could be that confusion there. And that's where you're essentially owning it in your area and then also in anything related. And that's really where, because when you're just when you don't have that federal trademark, you're essentially just renting it because then someone could essentially force you to rebrand at any time, whether it's through a cease and desist or whether you decide, okay, I'm ready to trademark and we start the process, we start the search and we see, oh, someone else has already trademarked something that's very similar. It's going to be very unlikely for you to actually get the trademark and then have to be rebrand that way. So that's really where you're just rolling the dice really with, are you going to be able to keep this brand or are you going to have to change it?
1: And so I think it's so important that you mentioned cease and desist letters. That was one way that the artist formerly known as Prince or Prince Nelson, whatever he went by at the time of his passing. Uh, But that's one way he defended his brand. Every single time someone tried to infringe upon his trademarks, he would send out a letter. Could you tell us why that is so important?
0: Yeah. So a lot of times I think people think that, oh, a season desist, it just means that you're like a bully or something, but it's really not. You actually, once you get a trademark, you actually have a duty to police your mark, which essentially means like if you see people using the same or similar things, you have a duty to get them to stop or attempt to get them to stop. And that's typically done through a season desist letter. And really this is because it all comes back to that confusion. You don't want people to be confused. By the copycat brands or somewhat copycat brands because that's where you get people that like, they come to you after and they're like, oh, I want a refund. And you're like, oh, I don't even see your order. You didn't order from my store. You ordered from someone else. So their brand was so similar that they thought they were ordering from you. So that can be a detriment to your reputation, If especially if the other brand, you don't have great customer service or their product is not as great as yours. Their service is not the same as what you would provide. You don't really want that confusion. So that's why you don't want anyone else out there existing with something that's really similar to your brand because it can tarnish your brand.
1: This is so good. I would keep you here forever, but I know he, I know he can't. So tell me this, if you had one piece of advice to give to a business owner as it relates to owning their brand.
0: What advice would you give them
1: on how to play big faster as it relates to owning their brand?
0: I would say the best thing you can do is to speak with a lawyer as soon as possible early in your business to really prioritize what legal your business needs and when. But you know, every business is different. If you're an e-com business, you might need the order of what legal stuff you need might be different from if you have a brick and mortar. So, Speaking with a lawyer as soon as possible is really going to help you build that like timeline of what you need and when. And it's going to allow you to not have to worry about the legal stuff and just focus on building your brand much quicker without having to be forced to rebrand or getting hit with seasoned assists or filing a trademark and getting it denied, all these other things. So it'll really let you expand your brand much quicker and faster, easier.
1: Kelly, how can we find you? If we want to ask you more questions and support the things that you do, where's the
0: best place that we can look for you at? Yes. So you can find me on Instagram at kelly with an I underscore. I'm also on TikTok, kelly with an I. Um, And then my website is LawyerKelly.com.
1: Thank you so much for being with us. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. And until next time, play big faster. Thanks for listening to this episode and remember to play big faster.